We're going to be in John chapter 17 today, and uh, I want to begin this morning by just reading uh, the words of Jesus, this prayer of Jesus for you, most of them at least, uh, and I'm going to be reading from the Living Bible. And uh, so I'm not going to put the words on the screen, but if you just like to listen in uh, as I read, uh, here are the words of Jesus again, John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. John writes, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Reveal the glory of your Son so that he can give the glory back to you. For you have given him authority over every man and woman in all the earth. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, by knowing you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you told me to. And now, Father, reveal my glory as I stand in your presence, the glory we shared before the world began. Verse 9, Jesus continues, My plea is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. Holy Father, keep them in your care. Verse 14, I have given them your commands and the world hates them because they didn't fit in with it just as I don't. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from Satan's power. They are not a part of this world any more than I am. Make them pure and holy through teaching them your words of truth. As you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. I am not praying for these alone, but also for the future believers who will come to me because of the testimony of these. My prayer for all of them is that they will be of one heart and mind just as you and I are, Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe you sent me. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me, and I have revealed you to them and will keep on revealing you so that the mighty love you have for me may be in them and I in them. Now, if you don't know much about the life of Jesus, it's important that you know that prayer was a huge part of his life. Uh, it was a foundational part of his life and his existence. Luke, Luke summarized Jesus' prayer life best by saying in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, he says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and, and prayed. And one of the things that intrigues me about Jesus and, and his prayer life is that the busier that he got, uh, the more complicated that his life got, the more often that he prayed. He prayed before and after uh, spending time with the crowds. In, in Luke chapter 6, we, we learned that Jesus prayed all night long before choosing his 12 disciples. He, he, he was seen praying when the tensions were increasing. Jesus was very dependent on prayer today. We're going to work our way uh, through portions of this specific prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. Now, this prayer is special for a lot of reasons. One of the things that makes it so spe- special is that these are the words of Jesus, but it also teaches us a lot about Jesus and the things that are important to him. And I'm just trusting that that maybe God has something specific in mind for each of us today. And uh, maybe part of the reason why you're here and, and I'm here and, and, and Jesus' prayer and these words of his because, you know, maybe you're here this morning and you've got something on your mind. Uh, something that's been kind of captivating your attention all week long. Uh, maybe you've got a big decision in front of you, uh, whether this week or, or it's coming. Maybe, maybe there's somebody that's hurt you, uh, somebody that's hurt you this past week, and you're still kind of reeling from that a bit. Maybe, maybe you want to grow in your faith. You'd say, you know what, I'm somebody that wants to grow in my faith. I want to grow in my prayer life. Let's ask the Lord 
right now to use this time today to do what he needs to do in your life and in mine uh, and in our church family. you pray with me? Father in heaven, we do praise you and thank you for who you are, uh, for your word, and even just uh, for words like these from John chapter 17, the very words of Jesus and his prayer. And God, as we read them today, as we look to them, as we look ultimately to you, we, would you just have your way in this time and in this place today? Uh, in my life, in our lives, Lord, and certainly in our church family. Uh, and say what you need to say. Do what you need to do for each and every one of us. And I pray that it would be our desire that when we walk out of the room in just a bit that we'll obey. That we'll obey. And we'll take whatever appropriate next uh, steps we need to. Lord, use me. Yeah, use this time. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you today, Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer. And we are here for you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Uh, amen. Uh, we're continuing in our series called Grow Today. If you're new with us, we've been reading and studying through the book of John all year long. If you're loving this study in the book of John, I've got bad news. I've got sad news for you. We only have a few weeks left. If you're getting tired of John, i got good news for you. We only have a few weeks left, all right, before we move on uh, to other things. But uh, we've been working our way through this. We've been saying this a lot over the last few weeks, but John 13, 14, 15, and 16 are really just one long conversation that Jesus had with his disciples over the span of, of several hours the last night that he has with them. This is the last night before he goes to the cross, and so it's, it's been pretty heavy with conversation as Jesus predicted that one of them would betray him. He, he kept referring to how he would be leaving them, that they would be on their own soon, and he warned them that life was going to be difficult, that they were going to come up against challenges, not only the next few days, but in the days, the weeks, and the months to come. But it wasn't all bad news, because at the same time, he also promised the gift of his Holy Spirit, his very presence that would come and, and live with them and guide them, that the Holy Spirit would be the one to help them live out their faith courageously and boldly, and also help them to persevere through all of the ups and downs of life. And so as we jump into John 17, today. I want you to see first how this long conversation ends in John chapter 16 so that we can appreciate how it begins in John chapter 17. If you remember from last week, we closed with these words. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus told his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so that's the official end to this long conversation as Jesus Jesus and his disciples are likely now coming out of the city and through the Kidron Valley and on their way to the Mount of Olives to the place that we know as the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's there that in John chapter 17, verse 1, John records this, that after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed. And again, Jesus has just ended this long emotional conversation with his disciples and now he prays. And in this prayer, we're going to find Jesus praying for three groups of people. He's going to pray for himself, he's going to pray for his disciples, and he's going to pray for the church, the future church, the church even today. But first, I want you to pay attention to how he begins his prayer. Notice how Jesus begins. He says, Father, the hour has come. Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come. Not to a whom it may concern or not praying to the big guy, you know, upstairs. He prays, Father. He prays, Abba. And he taught his disciples to do the same. If you uh, know anything of the story of Jesus, uh, back in Luke chapter 11, the disciples came to Jesus. They asked him basically, hey, we, we see what you do. We're watching how you pray. We want to be able to pray like you do. Teach us how to pray. And Luke records Jesus' response. Jesus said, okay, when you pray, pray our Father. 
pray father. That word father is a relational term. It's a a term of intimacy. It demonstrates intimacy. and, and, And I wonder how many of you might be getting to know God this way in this intimate, loving sort of way. And, and I realize if you, had a, if you had a good or if you have a good earthly father, like you, you can see it, you can understand the importance of such a, of a term. But if, but if you didn't have a good or if you didn't have a present earthly father, like I can understand at the same time how this can be a challenge. But I'm, if you want to take a big step in the way that you relate to God, if you want to take a step in, in your prayer, can I just encourage you to follow the words, the advice of Jesus and practice calling God Father. I mean, even as Steve explained last week, like Jesus' work on the cross opened the door wide for you and me to enter through that we, as followers of Jesus, can have direct access to God. And here's what God thinks about that. He thinks that and realizes that if you've trusted your life to Jesus Christ, you, you can call yourself a son or a daughter of God, which means that you can call him Father. Like you can refer to him as Father, and he is a good, perfect loving father, and he really, really loves his kids. And so Jesus gives us a glimpse of what his relationship with with God the Father was like, and one of the gifts that he modeled for us but also made possible was the opportunity for you and me to call him Father when we pray and allow that word, even that word, to change our heart and to change the way that we relate to God. Jesus continues in verse 1, he prays, Father... The hour has come. He says the hour has come. Now, on more than one occasion, and John, if you've been studying along, you've seen these words. Uh, Jesus told the people how his hour had not yet come. But now in chapter 17, maybe, maybe hours before he's arrested, Jesus says the hour has finally come. What's he referring to? He's referring to the cross, right? The, the cross is here. You know, within the next 12 to 18 hours, Jesus will be executed. His, his body will be hung on the cross. And so he's got the cross in mind. And then he prays for himself. He says again, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Now, I've got to just stop there for a moment because when Jesus prays, glorify your son, well, let's just be honest, that sounds a little self-serving, right? And Kind of reminds me of this clip that I saw recently. If you follow baseball, this is actually a minor league baseball game. This guy from the Memphis Redbirds hits what he believes to be a home run shot, but the wind knocks it down at the left field wall as the left fielder is throwing it into the infield. But guess what? If you haven't seen this clip, this guy never realized it. He's pointing to the outfield fence. Look what I just did. I just hit it out of the park. And then watch this pitcher just look at him like, dude, what are you doing? But he knew it right away. Check this out. Here it comes. Talk about glory. Talk about glory. There's the bat flip. Yep, yep, I just hit it out of the park. He'll never live this day down, right? I mean, he might make it to the big leagues one day. He might do some crazy things, but he will always be known for this moment. When Jesus prayed, Father, glorify me, that's not what he's talking about, right? That's not what Jesus is looking for. He, he prays, Father, glorify me so people will know how great you are. Uh, glorify me so that they may see you through me and through my actions. There's a big difference. Jesus goes on to explain in in verse 2, he says, For you granted him authority 
over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So when Jesus prayed that God would glorify him, he was actually praying that God's glory, again, would be revealed in and through his life and through his obedience and through his love and the way that he talked to others. His hope was that when people looked to Jesus again, that we would see God, that others would see God, and that they would give him praise. He continues in verse 4. He prays, I have, he, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Again, Jesus is talking about the cross here because Jesus knows in a few hours the world would watch as, as Jesus died on the cross as a sign of, of both punishment and you could say humiliation. But that's not what Jesus saw. And that's the remarkable thing about his obedience and his heart and his attitude here, that, his, that Jesus' focus wasn't on the suffering. Now, sure, was he going to talk to God about that suffering? Absolutely so, and we see that in the other Gospels. But no, his focus was on obedience. Uh, Jesus' focus and determination was all about carrying out the assignment. He died, we know he died, to demonstrate the love of God. And so he prays in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's just stop here again for a second because I want us to appreciate what Jesus is saying. He's praying and asking that God would be glorified through him. But he's also reflecting on his true identity as the eternal son of God. And why does that matter? Because if you go back to John chapter 1, all right, way back to John chapter 1, way back in January for us, John referred to Jesus as the word of God who was with God in the beginning and was with God at the creation of all things at the very beginning of at least what we would ever know. But in John chapter 1, we also learn that the word that Jesus Christ set his side, his divine glory, all right, his divinity, and became flesh. In other words, Jesus set aside uh, his rightful place with God in heaven and entered the world as a human, as a baby, in order that he might carry out and fulfill the work the Father had given him to do. And what's that work? To save his people, uh, to provide a solution to the problem of sin, to, to die a death that I deserve and you deserve. Like Jesus could have prayed, Father, get me out of here. Like I, I, This is going to be way too hard, but instead he prayed, Father, I'm excited for you to be glorified through me and for me to get to return back to you in glory. And so he prays. I want you to notice how he begins this prayer. Maybe your Bible, maybe this chapter is divided into sections. But he prays this powerful prayer by first praying for himself and asking that God would be glorified through his obedience. And I just think it brings up a good question for us. Like what can we learn about the way that Jesus prayed for himself here? Uh, the late Charles Spurgeon says this about the way that we live, our motivations. He says, Christ's motives should be ours. You want to know what it means to call yourself a follower of Jesus, to call yourself a Christian? It's Christ's motives in us and through us and what we do. What's he mean by this? It's, it's this commitment on your part and my part that we want to model our lives. You want to model your life after Jesus and everything. It's, it's this determination to, to say, you know, I want others to see Jesus in me. It's surrendering every part of your life and your work to the Lord. And so if you're going to pray for that promotion at work, 
all right, pray that God would use that promotion so that he might even have more glory through you. If you're going to pray for that pay increase, um, do it in such a way that because you know it all belongs to him, that you're praying that how God might use that pay increase in your life to bring him even more glory. If you're uh, praying for things like health and, and healing, like ask God to use your revived health and even, even the suffering that maybe comes through it to do even more for him that it might, that your life, that your suffering might even bring him greater glory. I, I shared with you a while back, back in... Um, Late July, 1st of August, I got a call on a Sunday afternoon that my sister said, hey, we think dad's having a stroke. Um, and so I made a quick trip to central Illinois, got there to find that my dad wasn't having a stroke, but instead that he has a, a brain tumor. And, uh, and that was a Sunday. Um, by Tuesday, my dad was in surgery where the, the brain surgeon removed this, this cancerous tumor. Um, by the grace of God, dad got to go home by Friday. He's got a long, challenging, tough road ahead of him. He just finished uh, six weeks of chemo and radiation. He gets a two-week break now. He's really doing very well, and certainly chemo and radiation has its challenges. My, my dad pastors a church. He's 71 years of age. He's trying to retire, uh, trying to, and, and his church is currently looking for a new pastor, uh, but my dad's been preaching Yeah, for the last six weeks. He's been able, again, by the grace of God, to preach each and every week. I'll, I'll tell you, and well, at least that's what my dad tells me, like you go through a life event like that, uh, you bring up even more question marks about what your future holds and how many days you have left. It's going to change the way that you preach. And so my dad has been preaching, and it's only by God's strength that he's been able to do that. But my dad shared this story with me last week. He had a young man, guy maybe early 20s, that came up to him the other day after the service and said, you know, I've been coming and I've been listening to you preach. He said, the interesting thing about your story is, well, it's my story because when I was 14 years old, my dad got a brain tumor. And he died from it. And to be honest with you, I've been pretty upset with God ever since. And my dad led him to the Lord this week. And he's going to baptize him in a couple of weeks. See, God's determined to get the glory through our lives and through our obedience and the way that we live in the ups and downs of life, the good days from the mountaintops, but also in the valleys that we go through. Charles Spurgeon said that Christ's motives should be ours. We're here to serve. We're here to model and share Jesus, bringing glory to God in all things. Jesus prayed for God to be glorified even in his own death. And so Jesus begins this prayer by praying for himself, but as he continues, the focus now shifts to his disciples. Verse 6, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I, have, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Look at how Jesus refers to his disciples here as God's gift to him. He says, you gave them to me, and better yet, they have learned Man, I am watching them grow up and learn to obey your word, and they believe that you sent me. Verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I am, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they or yours. I think it's interesting that Jesus prays here specifically uh, for his followers. And, and why does he make that distinction you know, between those that are following him and, and those that aren't following him? Well, like it or not, you know, uh, the life of Jesus 
creates a real dividing line, I guess you could say, uh, in our world. We, um, you may know that our family, one of our goals in, in my house is we're trying to get to every state, okay? We're, I'm sitting at 49, all right? I got one more to go. My kids have two more to go. It's pretty exciting. They got, we, both, we all got to get to Hawaii, all right? We'll, we'll get there one day in Iowa, of all places. They got to get my kids to Iowa, but our former youth pastor, Jose, lives there now, so maybe we'll, we'll, that, we got a good reason to get to Iowa. But a couple years ago, we uh, made a trip out west. We needed to hit the southwest and get some of those states, so we flew into Vegas. Vegas, and we got to Arizona, and we saw the Grand Canyon, and then we had to make this long three to four hour drive across Arizona to the Four Corners. Anybody ever been to the Four Corners before? It's like being on the moon, you know? I mean, you know, I talk about the furthest point away from home, all right? The Four Corners is it, but believe it or not, I mean, you get there, and they've just got this mark and this seal on the ground. There are these clear dividing lines between all of the four states. The, the name of Jesus created it's a real dividing line in our world with, with two apparent and clear sides. One, one side of the line represents those who have trusted Jesus Christ with their life and have made this commitment to follow him, and the other side of the line represents those who do not. And there's no middle ground. We, we don't get a third category to live and exist in. You, you either trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or, or you reject him, and both both sides have incredible Im- eternal implications. And Jesus isn't showing favoritism, but he is praying for those who will put their faith and their trust in him. But look what else he prays in verse 10. He says, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. There's that theme of glory again. We see this come up over and over again. Earlier, Jesus prayed that the Father would be glorified through his life, and now Jesus prays that God the Father would be glorified through the obedience of his disciples. Skip over to verse 15. Jesus continues, my, my prayer is not that you take my disciples out of the world. This is so good. But you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. i I, I got to just point out here, this is a verse that my wife has prayed faithfully for our kids since they were born. Specifically those words, Father, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but praying that you would protect them from the evil one. Basically to help them love people as Jesus loved people. That, that Father, that you would give our kids as they grow, that you would give them things like wisdom and discernment. That you would help them to know when and how to turn the other cheek. That you would show them how to walk away from from temptation and from things like sin. Jesus prayed that God would not take his disciples out of the world, but he would, that he would protect them from the evil one. But why not just pray? Like, why not just pray, God, bring the disciples along with me. Let's just all get out of here together at the same time. Well, wouldn't that disrupt the last three and a half years as Jesus has been equipping and training his disciples for a specific mission, teaching them to, to how to make disciples in his name and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the world. And so here in John 17, we find Jesus asking his heavenly father to give the disciples things like strength and courage and protection, the, the protection that they would need to live out this mission. And so he prays for their protection against the evil one. He acknowledges that his followers have a spiritual enemy who is literally hell-bent on destroying them, but instead of praying that God would take them out of the world, remove them. In verse 17, he prays for their protection, and he prays it in a specific way, verse 17. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify is a Greek word. Uh, It's this Greek word, hagiatso. 
It just means to make something holy or clean by setting it aside for a specific use. And so when Jesus asks his father to sanctify his disciples by the truth of his word, he is praying that God would use his word, that God would use uh, his truth, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would continue to teach and train the disciples as well as encourage them and direct them in their lives to make them pure and holy so that they would stand out in the world in a Jesus sort of way. Not a self-serving, bring myself attention, but in a Jesus sort of way so that they could carry out the special task that Jesus has been preparing them for. And in verse 18, Jesus explains a little more of that. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. In the same way that God the Father sent Jesus Christ into this world with a specific task, Jesus is now sending his followers into the world with a specific task. And the task isn't just to play it safe until I get back. Or you know what, it's, it's getting a little rough, it's getting a little chaotic, and so you just pull back and, and hide out and hunker down until I return. No, Jesus was sending his disciples out on mission, but not before praying to the Heavenly Father to protect them, prepare them, and to use them for his purposes. And so, and just quick review here, Jesus begins by praying for himself. Next, he prays for his disciples, but he's not finished yet because Jesus is going to finish this powerful prayer by praying for the church, which certainly includes you and me today. Let's listen close. Verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And again, who's he talking about here? He's talking about his church. He's talking about those of us that for the last 2,000 years have put our faith and trust in him, which is pretty cool when you think about it. That if your faith is in Jesus today, I hope you'll be encouraged to know that Jesus prayed for you. That he prayed that you would come to faith in him, which means you're an answer to Jesus' prayer. This prayer that he prayed. And it's a prayer that continues to be lifted up today. And answered even today as more and more people find their way back to God. And, And the exciting thing, and yet challenging thing, is that we play a part in that. We share some responsibility in this work. Because it's our mission as a church that we say here at Genesis Uh, to share the good news, to help others believe, to help people find their way back to God, to help people see that Jesus is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one stands on, well, this side of the line with Jesus Christ if it's not through Jesus. He prays in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He continues, verse 21, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. And so Jesus prayed that we would come to faith in him. He also prayed that the the good news of Jesus Christ would be evident in our lives, in my life, and in your life as we live out our faith in him and share that faith with our kids and share our faith with our neighbors and uh, your grandkids, your friends, your coworkers our classmates, even our enemies. And why? Why does Jesus say and what does he pray? So that the world will believe that Jesus is God's Messiah. And listen to what he says next in verse 22. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. And once again, there's that theme of glory again. Jesus prayed that God would be glorified through his death. Jesus prayed that he would be glorified through his followers' obedience, and now he prays that his glory would be revealed through his church. 
and in a very specific way. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me, verse 22, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Can I just ask you this? When you think of the state of the world today, is complete unity a word that comes to mind for you? No, right? How about complete division, uh, complete chaos, complete meltdown at times? Jesus prayed for unity for his church. Unity around what? What's Jesus been saying these last few chapters? He's been saying things like this, love one another, love one another, love one another. The world will know that you are my disciples as you love one another. I'd say unity around God's word. There's all sorts of messages out there today. Follow this way, go this way, choose this worldview. God says for us, it's my truth for you as followers of Jesus. Unify yourself the body of Christ around the word of God. It's unity around the mission. Why are we here? Why has Jesus Christ sent us into this world? To make disciples, to help people find their way back to God. It's unity around Jesus and who he is and the life that he lived. And it's certainly unity around his cross and his resurrection and this promise, this wonderful promise and guarantee that Jesus died a death that we deserve, that I deserve, and paid a debt that I owed and never could pay on my own. And why does the unity matter? It's found in the first words here of verse 23, or excuse me, in the middle, when Jesus says, then the world will know. He says, then the world will know. Our unity is a body of Christ. Our unity is not around the types of buildings we use. Our unity is not around a political candidate or affiliation. Our unity as followers of Jesus, as the church of Jesus Christ in this world is around the resurrected Jesus, the one who is our hope, the one who is our salvation. And together, you and I share this message. We are given this responsibility of sharing this message with the world, the people that we've been called to. Listen to how Jesus ends this powerful prayer, verses 25 and 26. He prays, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. He says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me will be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus' final prayer is that you would know that God loves you as a perfect father, that he is crazy about you. And you want to know how much he loves you? I mean, all of the Bible is evidence, scene after scene, of a God that will go to great lengths to demonstrate his mighty love to you, and certainly to go so far as to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, the one who lived his life and gave his life on the cross as God's great demonstration of how much you mean to him. He died for you and he died for me. And he offers us his life, his forgiveness, faith to those who will put their faith and respond and put their faith and trust in him. Will you pray with me? That's what I want to pray today. I want to pray that you will know his great love for you. Father, will you do that work in this room right now? to help us to know your great love. There are some here today, we've trusted you as Lord and Savior, but it's easy to forget. We get beat up by life and our own regrets and circumstances and 
and we question and we, or we forget how amazing your love really is. Father, I pray what Jesus prayed, that the love you have for Jesus would be in each of us today. And maybe that individual here that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior. Can I just say to you today, there's a clear dividing line between those who trust Christ and those who reject him. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that where you are right now, even by just praying, Lord Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you today. Forgive me. I want to know your great love. Father, we thank you and praise you for the love that you have. Thank you for the love of Jesus given for us. Our hope is in you. We are here for you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.